Hello and welcome to my compilation episodes of Silence, a podcast where women in science, technology, engineering and mathematics or STEM get really honest about surviving and thriving in what often feels like a man's world. I'm Dr. Shanice O'Mara, originally a mechanical engineer myself and often the odd one out as a dark-skinned female in engineering. Silence has been running every week for a whole year now, and to celebrate, I've put together a series of six short compilation episodes, which feature an assortment of the best soundbites over the last quarter. The guests you'll hear from over the next six days are true wonder women in STEM, and as with all episodes, I deliberately keep them anonymous so that all can enjoy some honesty, openness, and a little bit of vulnerability. This show is not about labels, accolades, and accomplishments. That stuff can be intimidating. It's about the wisdom gained from the experiences of some incredibly unique and trailblazing women who are tackling the issues around gender, diversity, and inclusivity head on. The last year of silence has been so inspiring. Thank you all for joining me on this incredibly empowering journey. Here's the best from episodes 27 to 39. Please do subscribe, rate and review the show, and enjoy. Definitely so. I, I agree. Um, especially looking looking back on it, it's nice to see. Oh, okay. Some some of the answers where I was wondering why at the time, and you know, people have a dramatic. Oh, why, why, why? And it's not working the way I want. And and I go back to that seven months of unemployment period that I had. I'm glad I had it early on in my career. Um, I had probably about five or six years of experience when I hit that. Um, that ro- quote unquote road bump that was necessary because at the time I was tra- traumatized by it because when I had never been, you know, laid off from a job before and I'm like, what am I supposed to do now? When I, I can't call myself an engineer because technically I'm, I'm not really because I'm, I'm not working as one. So who am I and, and that sort of thing. And I think that that, that challenge I ha- had early on kind of helped me with other things that happened in my career since then. So as things have kind of gone up and down, I'm like, you know, I kind of feel like, okay, I got this. You know, I know the universe is going to look out for me. Um, I know the universe is a compassionate, a good place. And it's not, you know, out there trying to, to put roadblocks in front of me. In fact, even take it a step further, um, the, the thing I do love about it, I, 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 when I talk like to women, I, I, a lot of times I talk with them through my nonprofits and things like that tied to STEM. I talk about um, it's very similar to like going to the gym and weight training. When you see these mu- these people that are bodybuilders that have built muscle, you know, in order to build the muscle, they have to have resistance. I mean, at the end of the day, you can't just sit there and just pray your way into getting, you know, getting a more attractive physique when it comes to building muscle. You have to have resistance. So whether it's physical, you know, through the gym or in this case, spiritual or, you know, just life lessons and things. You know, those challenges, when I look back on them, and a lot of times they felt like they were catastrophic at the time, they have all been a part of, um, you know, making, building my character, I guess. You know, I can't, it's tough to build character when everything is going nice and smooth, although nice and smooth feels great, but a lot of times the grit and everything thing that you have to go through, that's, you know, you have to go through some challenges in order to get that. I would always be lined for the JPL booth, and year after year, I tried, I improved, I took criticism, and year after year, I didn't get an internship. But I didn't let it stop me. I just let it motivate me to keep trying until eventually, when I was looking for a full-time job, I was able to get it and get an interview. And that meant the world to me. But it also was terrifying because my track record wasn't exactly great with them. 
No, you have to make mistakes or you would never learn. I mean, I've made every single mistake you could ever make. And, you know, it's it's those making of the mistakes and then sharing them with others. Like now I'm willing to share anything. And I think when you're younger, you aren't because it makes you so exposed. But as you get older and if more people that were further along in their careers would share the truth. And I kind of noticed as I thought back to myself in high school uh, and in college, kind of trying to, you know, because obviously you always want to fit in. You don't ever, nobody really likes to feel like nobody likes them or, you know, nobody wants to talk to them. Um, And so, you know, I would try to fit in. Like I said, I would try to join the conversations of saying like, hey, you know, I, I follow sports. I, you know, whatever NFL game was on last night, I watched that. Uh, and I also found myself trying to fit into the point where it was weird things like, I guess in a very broad sense, like kind of buying into the patriarchy or buying into chauvinism a little bit where, um, I don't know, just talking about things like sports was okay. Or when they would talk about cars, I would just kind of sit there and not say anything because I, I don't really know much about fixing cars. Um, but, you know, when they make comments about like, oh, all women care about is makeup and stuff, I'd be like, yeah, that's why I don't wear makeup, you know? And, and so it's like really weird because it's like sort of buying into that, like agreeing that things that are generally considered female specific are less than. And the only acceptable things to talk about are sports and cars. I think that it's just how we react to the adversity, but it's not that there isn't adversity. It means having a good work-life balance. It means being able to go to the office, do my work, have to stay late sometimes because we all have to stay late sometimes, but also being able to go home and cook dinner and have enough energy at the end of the day to have meaningful interactions with my partner, with my friends. You know, having the energy, if a friend calls me up and invites me over for a drink or invites me over for board games, I have the energy to say, yeah, I'll be right over. Um, And I know that a lot of times in the STEM field, working in STEM can be so exhausting that by the end of the day, we just want to sleep. So my goal is to have more energy than that at the end of the day. When you're a woman, um, and I'm sure men have the same feeling, but I only can speak from my experience, that when you juggle too many things at the same time, you always doubt that you're not doing the best that you can at each thing. If you had all the time to just devote to one instead of five different areas that are important to you, then I think that you probably wouldn't have those doubts. But I have doubts every day about being a mother, about being a wife, about taking care of myself, about am I giving enough to the job because I want to be everything to everyone. And then it's super hard, I think, to be a good friend when you have all these other competing interests. I think um, I agree with you in that matter because I think about um, part of what I've done in STEM um, is be an instructor. And when I say be an instructor, not not teaching at you know at colleges, but teaching people who are, who are already working in the field, working in STEM, and working with advanced manufacturing. And one of the things that I've discovered, you know, 99% of my students. Um, in this situation of teaching of probably say going actually over 10 years now, 
I started back in 2007, 99% of, of my students have been men. So when I go in as a woman of color, as the instructor, if I didn't have that spiritual foundation, I would basically be eaten alive and not necessarily by them, but by my own self-doubt, right? Because I'm going into this environment where it's all men and they're looking at me as being the expert. And I've certainly had a few challenges where, um, you know, men, you know, they have, you know, like you said, you come in with your own stuff and your own views. Um, and I never knew exactly what they were thinking, you know, at the time. Some, I'm sure some had their doubts when they saw me. You're like, okay, what, you know. And then others were like, they didn't, they didn't even, you know, add any thought to it at all. Okay, well, she, she's an instructor. I've never been in a situation where I wasn't treated with respect. If you're talking about personality types, which I think he was, I think he just meant that I was neurotic and didn't like accepting help from uh, other people. You know, when anyone ever says, oh, that's a type A personality, generally I think neurotic and obsessive and control freak. It's so short, uh, so short. In all the billions of years, we might get 120 if you're like the most lucky person. I guess lucky. If you if you see living to be a ripe old age of 120 as being lucky, then um, then then that's all you got. And so mainly for me, it's just we can look so far back in the past, and I love that. But knowing that someday. I will die and I will not be able to see what happens in the future. Um, that's probably the worst part for me. Like I know death is a part of life and I'm pretty okay with it. I don't have any existential crises about it or anything like that. I, I, I look at dead things all day long. And so um, I don't usually have too big of a problem with death. I try to keep it, you know, not think about it constantly for me as a human that I will die someday. But um, I try to stay kind of above it and and also planning for it. Uh, like I, I do trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my body when I die. Like that helps me personally. The choices that I make might frighten everyone around me. Um, but for me, I just knowing that I can preserve my bones for other people makes it a, an issue that I can wrap my head around for me personally as a human. Yeah. When I was growing up um, and in my early years, I had a lot of women that were around me that, that thought that it wasn't good to be a woman or to be feminine. I had some um, attorneys above me that really had made their careers by acting like men. And when I got into telecommunications, there were very few women above me in the organization. And those that were really had learned to be tough. Um, and I decided when I went in that that isn't how I was going to handle myself, that I wasn't going to give up my femininity. Um, I think that it was, it was hard because I didn't do what was expected. Um, but I think that it allowed me to stay true to who I am and to, to be not just feminine, but to be nurturing and compassionate and to really keep my passion on my sleeve so that it, I think that it created trust within the organization of who I was. But I also think that when you go see customers, you know, you need them to believe in you. And if you're not your true self, then there's automatically a wall that goes up. So I'm always trying to be my genuine self. Some days it's hard, but I really do. I, I that is one of my personal goals is always to be true to who I am as a person and to my femininity. Well, 
I actually did have, I had some support from areas that I wouldn't have expected because I had some of the people who I was able to talk, address a little bit with, even though they couldn't get a full understanding. Some of my mentors were guys uh, at that time. Um, I did, I did have one female mentor that really stands out as somebody who I, I, I didn't even think she physically existed because when I got hired on with a particular company, um, one of the first questions I had asked about, because I knew mentorship was very important, I said, well, you know, who else in the company, you know, is, is in the company that's a female engineer that can help me? And I got a, I got a shocking answer. They're like, well, you're the only one. I'm like, are you kidding me? So where, where do I go for, you know, this, you know, in terms of getting mentorship? And it turns out the, the HR vice president, you know, she realized, okay, we need to make sure that you have a supportive environment. So she actually went outside of the company to find someone. And within the consulting company that was, you know, had provided mentors, I had written down my ideal mentor. I didn't think she existed. I thought, well, I'm probably the only woman of color that's in this particular field. I'm thinking about, well, this person doesn't exist. And they found her. Turns out she was somebody who, who I was, who actually did provide mentorship for me. And I could ask all of those questions about, well, how do you deal with this when someone's assuming that you're the secretary and that you're not an engineer and they're looking at you like, you know, why aren't you pouring the coffee? You know, those kind of things. And, you know, and, and maintain your grace and not lose, you know, not get upset and not get frustrated and, you know, not break down. And how can you say it in a way that it's not high in sarcasm? Because my, my, my personality tends to be high in sarcasm and not necessarily the most, <laughs> the most conducive if you're dealing with somebody, you know, who thinks that they have the right to make that assumption about you. So those kind of things. You know, I think it's just a, um, a reflection of the men and their insecurities. And so when you recognize that they're feeling insecure, um, and, and, I, and I think that has a lot to do with how we raise our men, right? We raise the men to be the leaders of the family. We raise the men to be um, more intelligent in the household. Um, it's, it's just a societal thing. It's a culture. And um, so when they, when I have a woman that's their equal or their superior, it's not comfortable for them. Yeah, um, I'm the neuroscience one. I feel like I, I haven't given this like topic much thought, but I definitely like want a family um, in the future. And I know that to be a girl in STEM, especially like, with all of the pressure, well, not pre well, yeah, there is a lot of pressure. Um, that like I'm gonna have to make compromises, or in order to have a balance between family and like my career choices. But at the same time, I would expect my partner to do the same, so that it wouldn't just be like a a one way relationship kind of deal. Like, well, he's being successful in life, and I don't want to just be stuck. Um, so I feel like even though there will be compromise in the future and I'm expecting that because I really don't feel like there'll be a perfect relationship and enough time, not enough hours in a day to be able to handle both a family and a career. I just got to accept with what I'm going to be presented and um, kind of shift along the way, I guess. <laughs> Um, I did lots of work experience and it was actually by volunteering in hospitals that I thought this isn't for me. The emotional component of dealing with patients is too much. So I thought, OK, I want to um, find a way where I can help people 
in medicine by doing research myself without having the aspect of dealing with people. I mean, I love dealing with people. My issue with it was um, when things would go wrong, I would just feel too emotional about it and it would then impact my work. And I thought I, I wouldn't be a good doctor because I would kind of take my work home with me. I would obsess over my failures and then I just wouldn't treat my patients. I wouldn't give them the care that they deserve because I wouldn't be performing to my fullest abilities because I'd be affected emotionally. I'm trying to think back over all the female role models I've had, and I'm really glad that I've had them. I think it's extremely important as a woman in STEM to have female role models, but sometimes they can be really hard to find, to be honest, especially within academia. Now that when I was an undergraduate, there were plenty of female PhD students. That was fine. But now that I'm a PhD student, I'm sort of looking at, you know, postdocs or lecturers. I would say that when I was younger, I'm just angry about everything. It's never about my gender. Now I think I look at it a little bit like, okay, you know, there's no point to be angry about anything or everything. You know, we we only have control about what we do. You know, I think that the one of the keys was that while in high school it may have been a competition, in college it wasn't. My school had a culture definitely of collaboration because it didn't want to focus on academic excellence only being shown through grades because time after time we've seen that that's not always true. You have CEOs and people who have done these startups who didn't even finish school. So to make a claim that an A is the epitome of being smart, the best, the most intelligent, it's just false. And the sooner that people come to terms with that, the better. Because at my school, at least, they knew that and they wanted the focus to be on doing good work. And that meant talking to others and not living in a bubble because the best work is often done when you work with others. Then we, we run into the problem of people think that we get into where we are now because we are female. So... I mean, so it, it, I, I do understand that, you know, the policy nowadays is, is trying to do good. I think the intention is good. But I almost felt like the way we are doing now is making, is actually a disadvantage to female academics. So, so I felt that we have to actually work extremely hard or harder than my male academic in order to get uh, the recognition, um, just because of the policy nowadays that all we have to promote the female academic to go to uh, to become professor or whatnot because of this idea of political correctness. So I, I so, so I, I I don't know. I mean, it might not be what people want to hear. People in general want want to celebrate a lot of female being in academic or in science, and they celebrate policy of promoting that. But I think to to take such a short term approach is not right because it's in 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 reality we just don't have that many people to choose from. I would tell you that I do feel guilt. Um, so I should probably back up and tell people that I do. Um, it's it's not e an easy task. When I miss a basketball game or a football game, or I'm not here for a special event because I'm traveling for work, 
I long to be at home. I have times where my husband gets to go out with our friends and I'm not able to go because of work. And I have things that happen that I very much want to be part of, but I have to get something turned in because Japan needs it or my boss needs it or something like that. And so as all of that happens, I constantly feel torn between wanting to be 100% mom, wife, friend, daughter, to wanting to be 100% the best worker that ever happened. So I, I, I think that that's a natural thing. I think it's over the years, I've just decided that my family understands, and I understand, and I do the best that I can to balance. And there's a lot of wonderful things that it that working creates for our family. So we understand it. It's just sometimes we don't like it. Um, and the guilt is a, is a constant. The other thing that I would say is that, you know, none of this came without a lot of hardship and a lot of learning. So I might sound confident and know where I'm going today, but on a daily basis for many, many years, I didn't. And I had to find my way. And I think that that's normal. And I think that that's a really normal feeling for women and only an individual can decide what's right for them. It, you know, and it's different for every single person. When, when, when you find a place where you've got a, a, a network of people who love you and care about you and support you, really, really treasure that and really value that and, uh, and don't walk away from it because it's hard to, to create that again. I think there is quite a lot of sexism within academia and um, up until quite recently, I hadn't really experienced it. I think as an undergraduate, when I started, um, it was about 50-50 gender split in chemistry. Chemistry is one of the sort of better courses within STEM um, when it comes to gender differences. But then when I reached um, my master's year, um, I had some sort of issues with um, some male members of staff that then resulted in me having to file a formal complaint against said member of staff because I wasn't being treated fairly. Yeah, but I think by um, showing them role models of older girls to these younger girls, it will kind of inspire them or, um, that's not the right word, like, not encourage, but something along the lines of that to see, like, oh, there are... Um, women in STEM who are successful, even though we're only high school, um, high schoolers. Um, but I feel like that would inspire them to continue pursuing STEM if they're on like the brink of going towards another interest. It's all internal. It's do you feel satisfied that you know you did the best you could for yourself? It has nothing to do with did you win the game? Did you, you know, beat someone's GPA or whatever? Um, it has to do with knowing that you did the best you could do. Because sometimes, you know, some people, um, like biology, I was always really weak in that. Um, that was like the, the one science subject where I was like, ah, I cannot manage to get a higher grade than this. Um, and so that's that's just me. That was the best I can do in biology. Um, and so being bummed out about how, getting an A in biology, like that would have brought nothing but stress and like, you know, disappointment to myself. So, so kind of turning down that, that fear of measuring up 
to other people. Um, it just really kind of, well, did you do the best you could with that the best you could? And, you know, saying yes. I don't know that business shakes me particularly, but there's personal things that have shook me and there's things that have happened to people that I care about in business that have shook me. Um, or uh, things I've been asked to do that have been ver very difficult or things that have happened to me that have been very difficult. And so from those vantage points, I think you have to give yourself time to, you know, first be sad, to go through anger, to sit back and reflect upon that. And that's a regular cycle I go through. But the super sad part, I give myself 24 hours and then I have to shake it because if I don't shake it, then I let down all those other pieces of the pie. Once I see a woman role model, I can aspire to be like them and also become that for younger girls. That's it from this series of six compilation episodes from shows 27 to 39. Please do subscribe, rate and review the show and catch you tomorrow for more from the best of silence.